Hey everyone, Christy McClellan here, and I want to invite you to a brand new event from Lifeway Women called Feast. At this event, you'll be invited to feast on God's Word by studying the Bible in its historical, cultural context. We're going to get to know the Bible in its world, in its native habitat, text, and context. You'll experience teaching, worship led by my 25-year friend, Laura Cooksey, and fellowship with other women around the world. Come and learn with me that the living God is better than we ever knew. Visit LifeWay.com slash Feast to learn more. This is the Mark Podcast from LifeWay Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman. I'm here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. We are so excited today because we have um, Sam Alberry here with us. He's been on our list. We always (laughs) say this. We have this list of people that we kind of like, okay, we would love to have them. And you have been on that list. Yes. And time. I feel like nominated by several people, like across Lifeway. They're like, we need you'll need to have Sam Alberry on. Yes, we would love to. Yes. So we're excited. So what we do on this podcast is we have our guests introduce themselves. So tell us about yourself and your ministry and maybe where your accent is from, because that will be a question <laughs> on people's minds. That's right. When you start talking, they're going to be like, where is he from? Yeah, well, you you said my name right. Almost oh. no one ever says my name right. Oh, how do um, I say it? You said Sam Albury. Oh. And they say Albert. Albert. I mean, I'll answer to anything. Yeah. But, uh, that that Albert. was good. So I grew up in England. I uh-huh. uh, grew up in Southeast England. Moved to Nashville a couple of years ago, um, mm-hmm. working for a church here called Emmanuel, um, serving as a pastor. Prior to that, was a pastor in the UK. Also worked with an apologetics ministry and love. Love. I, I became a Christian when I was 18, and I can still remember what it feels like mm. to be looking in from the outside. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I'm thinking and teaching, I'm always thinking, how would this have landed on me before mm-hmm. I was a Christian? Mm-hmm. So I like trying to look at the Christian faith from the outside and think through, okay, what are the big questions people have? What are the obstacles? How can we how can we help people in? Mm. Is that really your approach to apologetics when you think about that? Because if you remember what that's like, that probably does shape the way that you... It does, yeah. And I, I still have many friends and people I'm close to who are not Christians. And so I often hear an experienced church through their ears and eyes thinking, okay, if they if they had come this week, how would they be thinking about this part mm-hmm. of the service? And that, that doesn't shape every single thing you should do, but I'm I'm always aware of how an outsider might be feeling at any given moment. Yeah. Well, I looked your name up on Amazon just for fun <laughs> and to just think about all the books that you've written and Honestly, there were a lot more than I even realized. So tell us a little bit about just your your journey of being a writer. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, I, I don't quite know how, it, why, why anyone why? published me. Why? 
I yeah, I I wrote my first book. I wrote in about two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Um, really, because I had done some teaching on the resurrection, and I didn't know of a of a kind of easy, accessible book I could give to someone in my church about the resurrection that wasn't just about the historical evidence. I was trying to write something about what it means for everyday life. And it just kind of carried on going from there, really. Um, for some reason, someone published that. For some other reason, some people read it. Mm. And uh, I've been able to to be writing since then, which is, I, I love writing because it's, it's the best way I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I think about something until I start writing. Mm -hmm. So it, it helps me process things. And if it serves other people too, that's an, that's an added bonus. Yeah. And you've written some children's books for B&H. I have. So how, like, how do you make that <laughs> jump from writing uh, apologetics and things like that to well, children's I, books? Well, I, I thought I was writing a very learned adult book, but they put pictures in it and released <laughs> it for kids. So, um, uh, no, I well, I've, I've written and spoken on the whole area of, of sexuality. And often one of the questions I get is from parents saying, how do we talk to our kids about this stuff? <laughs> and the more I thought about that, the more I thought, well, actually, there are some conversations you need to have at the toddler stage, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not about sex itself, but about how marriage, why marriage is the way it is, what it's, what it's designed to mean and to point to. So I wanted to write, I wanted there to be something for, for young children on how marriage points to the gospel, why it's between a man and a woman, uh, what that all means so that hopefully they have a, a positive framework already in place so that when they get a bit older, and start to have other questions, they've already got something in place as a framework for thinking through those more difficult issues. Yeah. The one that you wrote, it's um, God's Great... What is it? God's Signpost God's was the first one. That was it. Okay. I, I was going to say, I know that I've seen it. So yeah. And the other one is is done and comes out, I think, in the new year, spring kind of time. Okay. What is it called? I think it's called God's Go-Togethers. Okay, so, <laughs> so the, yeah. the first one is about how marriage is based on a promise. Uh -huh. It's not just mm -hmm. feeling. It's God has made covenants mm -hmm. to us, and marriage is a picture of that. The second one is me really trying to explain to, to a toddler, toddler why marriage is between a man and a woman. Gotcha. So I'm looking at the, the, that, that whole kind of dynamic and how God has designed certain things to go together. Mm. Um, so the main the main character... They're at the beach, which itself is a great go-together because mm -hmm. land and sea, right. you need both to have the beach. Um, and the main kid in the in the story is, he's having, I think he's having hot dogs and donuts for lunch. And he decides to put <laughs> the sugar... That sounds like the, a great lunch. Well, <laughs> it is. Okay. I'm glad I've, I'm saying this just yes. after lunch. And he decided to put ketchup on the donut and sugar on the hot dog mm. and realized those don't go together. Mm. And certain things are designed to pair well mm -hmm. and other things are not. So that's really trying to help unpack some of that aspect of marriage. Well, it can be too. a really tough subject and par mm -hmm. parents tend to shy away from it. Yeah. And in today's culture, we cannot shy away from those conversations. No, I mean, we need to have them earlier and earlier, sadly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because even even young children are being exposed to other forms of of relationship and that kind of thing so just trying to show that actually there's something uniquely special about the union of a man and a woman mm -hmm. we were just talking the other day about um even talking about this with adults the best way to show 
what is true is to show what is true instead of all the things that are not true. And so Mm -hmm. just saying this is what marriage looks like is often more helpful than saying this is what marriage doesn't look like because that's constantly changing. Mm. Um, So to just point to the this is the the truth. truth. This is what's real. Um, It's that old like story of the counterfeit knowing what's counterfeit. Just thinking of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how we can discern. And that's how we can also stay with the times because I feel like if we tried to just say, okay, this scenario is not right, this scenario is not right, this scenario is not right, then mm-hmm. we're always going to be behind the times because people are, that's changing every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's an aesthetic beauty yeah. to it. I was talking to a, a pastor friend who who says he tries to make a point as many Sundays as he can of having one song where the men and the women sing different parts. Oh. Because he's trying to show you there's something unique about this blending mm. that has its own it's kind yeah. of aesthetic beauty to mm-hmm. it. And he said sometimes rather than sort of trying to give people rational arguments for male-female complementarities, it sometimes it's best just to show the beauty of what happens when maleness and femaleness are, are brought together in some way. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a good illustration for sure. Well, one of the books we want to talk yeah. about is kind of sort of related to this. Um, it's... Not, about not being married, the seven myths of singleness. Um, and you've written about and spoken about singleness mm. in other places as well. When I told some of my coworkers that you were going to be on the podcast, she was like, oh, I'm so glad. She said, I can't wait to hear it because I loved his sermon on this same topic. Mm. Um, and so as we head into the holiday season, we thought it might be helpful for both our single and our not single listeners to hear about some of the challenges and the gifts of singleness especially this time of year. I feel like it's sometimes front and center in all of our minds this time of year. So what are some of the myths of singleness that you debunk in the book? And are there any ones in here that kind of surprise readers? They're like, I would have never thought that that was a myth or whatever. Yeah, I should I should add I am single. So I, um, you know, here I am having written a book for children about marriage, being unmarried <laughs> without kids. Yeah. So I may have a bit more authority to to speak about the singleness aspect Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are lots of things. I mean, what surprised me when I first really looked at what the the Bible says about singleness is how positive it is. Mm -hmm. We we tend to think of singleness primarily in, if not negative terms, then at the very least, you know, we even call it being unmarried. It's the state of not having something. Mm -hmm. We don't we don't call married people unsingle. So we're already dealing with it in terms of what it isn't and what it what it what you're without by being single. Whereas the, the New Testament especially seems to talk more about what you have if you are single. So that was one one big surprise. Yeah. Um, I think a related one is one of the big fears people have about singleness, very understandably given that the time in which we live, is that it means being, you know, desperately lonely. And that that can be the case for many people. Mm-hmm. But again, when you when you look at the New Testament understanding of of church life, especially, it's meant to be deeply rich mm-hmm. in terms of relationship and community. So I was surprised seeing just how broad the biblical categories of of intimacy are. Because in our culture at the moment, we have one category of intimacy, which is romantic intimacy. Mm-hmm. And you either have that or you have no intimacy and you're just not known Mm -hmm. properly um whereas in in the bible friendship is seen as a as a form of intimacy it's it's meant to be a deep kind of relationship not a not a casual thing um and the church is meant to be the place where there is 
a wide, just a, a, an amazing, rich buffet of healthy, godly intimacy that is available. So sadly, it is the case in some Christian communities that being single means you are lonely, but it, that, that means our churches are not being biblical mm. because the, the biblical vision is actually your sense of feeling known and loved and being part of other people's lives shouldn't be contingent on your marital status. Mm. Mm. Um, so just trying to give the church back that vision that she's had for so many years, but we've lost in our generation of of how we can be together more as a church community. And the more I've I've taught on that, especially the more I've heard married people say, gosh, we hadn't realized how much we needed this. Yeah. Because the culture says when you when you meet someone, they're meant to meet all of your relational needs, all of your emotional needs. You pull up mm -hmm. the drawbridge, you don't need mm -hmm. anybody else. And I know marriages that are struggling because of that. Mm -hmm. um, we all need friendship. We all need that wider spiritual family that is the local church. Yeah. I'm really glad you kind of mentioned friendship in general because a lot of our listeners lead women's ministries in their churches. And that tends to be a topic that I hear from women who say, I just don't feel part of it or I have a hard time finding friends in my church. And why is that? And, so, and these are married friends. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they don't have an important person in their life, but the church is meant to be. And they, and at least a lot of my friends that are in ministry or that are in the church, they're looking for friendship in yeah. the church, which is, which is a good place, right? Yeah. And I think part of, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I think part of what we can do is to be lifting up friendship mm -hmm. from the scriptures in the way that we should be, um, commending it, facilitating it. Um, th there, there is post COVID with everything else going on in our culture, people need more help mm -hmm. making friends. Mm -hmm. Um, we need more on ramps towards community and friendship. And so there, there is more churches can do to be thinking both at the program level, at the church culture level, how can we make this a place where we're actually facilitating and honoring biblical friendship. Okay, you just said that, but what are some practical ways? Like what would, <laughs> what would be Taking an on-ramp? Yeah. yeah, what yeah. would be an on-ramp that a church could implement well, or I think, try to do? I mean, one of the things we've, we've learned at Emmanuel is just how a lot of the people who are joining the church now, again, what, what might have felt like 10 years ago, well, it's obviously common sense how you make friends. Mm -hmm. Actually, people need more help now. Uh, there's more social anxiety, um, we used to sort of think, well, we've got small groups, so join a small group, and that, that's right. how you get your way into community. But, you know, I, I can understand people thinking, well, I, I don't want to just sign up to a group of people I have no idea who they are and I've <laughs> so never met. True. That's kind of intimidating. Yeah, it is. And he then locks up in this room with this group of people. Or and told, you go to a stranger's house yeah. for your small group. And it, it, mm -hmm. I, yeah. it, I remember, I still remember being a toddler and, you know, my Maybe my mum was meeting up with one of her friends who also had a toddler in a toddler. Okay, you two go off and play now. Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, that that wasn't fun as a toddler. It's it's no it's no better as an adult. <laughs> yeah. um, so we, we've realised, okay, we need a step in between people arriving at a church and some of our kind of small group structures, that kind of thing. So we're, we're just trying to do other kinds of events where, for example, we have a Wednesday night programme, many churches do, but where the focus is on, yep, teaching, but also honesty and community. Mm -hmm. 
And so we, we're always having open mics, opportunities for people to share where they're at in life, how whatever we've been teaching has landed on them, to try and have a culture where it's it's hopefully easier for someone to say, here's, here's how I am this week, here's mm -hmm. how life really is. Mm -hmm. Because the key to, to being known is honesty. Um, friendship is is based on disclosure. It's not based on mutual interest. It's based on disclosure. Jesus says in John 15, I've called you friends because everything I've received from the Father, I've made known to mm. you. So in other words, because I've spilled the beans to you, we're friends now. And if if that is what friendship is is built on, then we need to make it as easy as possible for people to be honest with one another in our churches. And one of the un unwritten rules we have at Emmanuel that I, I agree with and, and resent at the same time is we, we pastors have to lead by example. Mm. So if we're having yeah. an open mic on how has this text this week convicted us, landed on us, we go first mm. um, with, with appropriate right. you know, sure. um, ways of doing that. But uh, that certainly helps. That's mm. not everything, but that's something. Yeah. Um, it, it also helps that the size of group we are on a Wednesday night, it's big enough to be a, a good mix, a genuine cross-section of the church family. We have childcare available, but it's not so big that you feel lost every week and you don't know who anyone is. It's, mm -hmm. it's small enough that you get to recognize faces and people recognize you. And we found that has become one of the on-ramps to people beginning to to get to know other people and if you want to come along and just sit at the back and keep your distance for a while and sort of wait and see you can mm -hmm. do that if you want to be throwing yourself into other people you can do that too people have different speeds at which they mm -hmm. connect and we, we need to yeah. honor that yeah. I even saw that in a church several years ago I was leading a bible study and there were a lot of women who came it was on a Wednesday night and I had never seen them before and I thought maybe I'm just not paying attention, but I don't know who these women are. Mm. And as I got to hear their stories and got to know them, they had really kind of made their way into our church through Celebrate Recovery. Mm. And so they were, it was a step. So they found community there. Bible study was the next step. Mm. They weren't even going to Sunday morning yet because they weren't quite there. Yeah. But I thought, oh, we sometimes... We expect people just to jump in in one place, but it could be this step-by-step -step yeah. process. And, you know, people, we've, we have a similar, uh, you know, groups coming from similar kinds yeah. of, of backgrounds and ministries, and they've already learned the honesty piece, uh -huh. which yeah. means they often, when they do then want to integrate, actually that tends to happen quicker for them. Mm -hmm. The other thing I should have mentioned is food. Mm. Food is, is designed yeah. to be a relational yes. experience, and so trying to do not... Not every, you know, particularly as we were coming out of COVID, we, as a leadership, we were thinking we need to do some church events that are not just because we need to do some teaching or help, you know, that kind of thing. We need to do events that are actually just designed to be fun together, mm -hmm. whether it's regional picnics so that, that people in, you know, the same neighborhood in the city can actually discover who each other are and right. that kind of thing. But trying to do more things where there's there's time to eat hang out that kind of thing is important yeah those low risk mm -hmm. high reward really. yeah and not everything has to be kind of task oriented right um 
So just trying to be together as a family. Yeah, yeah I think that's great. And to have yeah. a variety of those entrances so mm-hmm. yeah. that if someone is not ready to be honest on the microphone, yeah, they time. can just come enjoy a meal. So I think that's yeah, important. And they can listen to other people being honest. That yeah. can help too. That's yeah, true. That's true. Well, we were talking about um, singleness in, during the holidays, right. and I think that this is one of the things is there are lots of family gatherings. There are lots mm-hmm. of church parties. There's Christmas cards in our mailboxes that may remind us of our lack of mm. uh, spouse. And so what encouragement would you have for single people during the holiday season? Yeah, it, it can be it can be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing I, I always try and remember myself and, and help other single friends remember is it can be tough on lots of people too. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. for, just for a variety of reasons. There's there's so much cultural expectation that the holidays are when you have your Instagrammable family moments. Mm-hmm. So it can be tough on families that are, are just, they're not having a good time. Not Instagrammable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And most, most, fam- mm-hmm. most of family life is not Instagrammable. Mm-hmm. But it can look from the outside like everyone else's life is is photogenic and perfect and put together hardly anyone's is so mm-hmm. it's just worth being aware of that and some there are some families dreading the holiday season too because they're they're just aware of the ways in which they they don't meet that cultural expectation right. um for obviously for a lot of people there's there's your own immediate family there's extended family and for a lot of people there's going back to visit parents and, mm-hmm. and other other mm-hmm. relatives so it, it's always good just to keep an eye out on each other and, and find out what each other has or hasn't got planned for the mm-hmm. holidays. Um, I know some couples, married couples, for whom it can be lonely because their families are a long, expensive mm-hmm. flight away. Right. And so they feel like they don't really have anywhere to go or people to be with either. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we, we can all serve each other uh, and try and th- make sure everyone who wants to be with others mm-hmm. can be mm-hmm. um and so for families that are staying put and already cooking for a, a gang already mm-hmm. to see if well let, let's let's include another two or three people mm-hmm. um again it might be a, a couple who've got nowhere to go or a single or two um if you're already cooking for for eight cooking for 10 isn't isn't much more um for those of us who are singles um we we shouldn't just think it's everybody else's job to notice us and invite us, mm-hmm. but it's good for us to think, actually, is there, are there things I could do that would be easier for others? Um, you know, is there a family I could cook for because they, they just never get other people cooking for them? Mm-hmm. Um, or can we combine resources and say, well, I'll, I'll bring this amount of food if you if it's easier to come to you because that's all your, your kids' stuff is there why don't I come and I'll bring some food to you or why don't we combine resources? Um, I I can cook okay. I, I can't <laughs> big Thanksgiving cook. Right. So, you know, it might be me saying to two or three other single friends who I know are going to be around over the holidays, why don't we pull our resources and, and together host mm-hmm. something for others? Yeah. Um, I can do the, I can do the meat part. You can do the dessert part, whatever it might be. Or I've got the house that has the space. You've got the, the skills of mm-hmm. cooking stuff. Mm-hmm. So th- there's lots of ways of doing this, but just to be aware that there's different kinds of need and hurt mm-hmm. out there for yeah. us all to be aware of. And let's, let's just ask each other, not, hey, what are your plans for the holidays? But, hey, how are you 
how are you feeling about the holidays? Mm-hmm. Because it just gives people permission to say, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and I'm kind of dreading it. Yeah. Um, and it's good to understand what each other's going through on that. And yeah. singleness isn't a just in a cookie cutter, like it all is this one one way. I mean, there are um, elderly people who are widowed, who are yep. now single. And so that has that looks very yeah. differently there's, to them. There's the childless couple sure. who are old enough that maybe they don't have their own parents to go to, but they don't have their own kids and their right. families to host. There's lots of different shapes and sizes of experience around the holidays that we, mm-hmm. we all need to be aware of. Yeah. And maybe last that's year, the key is just being aware. Yeah. I was just going to say last year there were, there was a big group of us mm-hmm. that for all variety of reasons were found out we were all going to be by ourselves on Christmas. And it was like different scenarios is the reasons why we were all by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so one of the families, it was two sisters, they lived together and they were just like, Hey, everyone come over here. Everybody bring food. But it was like this weird conglomerate of people. And some of the, there was a two year old and a family unit there. And then there were, you know, a grandparent and all these different in between, um, a lot of single women, but it was just a really fun Christmas and one that I'll remember for ever because it just and it's not it, we weren't necessarily like setting a precedent like this is what we're going to do every christmas from now on yeah. it was just like hey this happened this christmas we all happen to be by ourselves and we all just kind of i think i think it's important for us to remember as single people that sometimes we have to say hey i would really like plans on christmas and i don't have mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. instead of like you said just relying on others and just being like no one's thinking about me because they may be thinking well you don't want to come over to our house like yeah you don't want to come into this chaos. Talk about being yeah. honest with your friends. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. They're seeing your extended family. Yeah, I've, 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 there's, there's a couple of families I'm very close to here. And one of the families, I remember I, I said, love to have you round. They said, okay. And I said, no, I mean, all of you round, you and mm-hmm. the kids. One, yeah. one Saturday, I'll just cook you food and we'll play games and stuff. And like, are you sure you want our kids in your house? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I am sure. But they, again, their thinking was, why, why would they want, why would anyone want our family round? Right. So it's good just for us to be aware that that everyone's got their own (laughs) insecurity. College students who are here from other countries, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they are not probably going to get to go home during a holiday. And so, especially not Thanksgiving because they don't celebrate. (laughs) Yes. I remember there was one fall, my son, when he was in university, when he was school, he brought over some friends um, that were, you know, from a different country. And it was funny. They they came over and we fixed, you know, food and they said, can we see your backyard? And I was like, sure. And so they went out in the backyard and I asked them, I said, was that what you expected? Like, what, like, did you have this expectation of a backyard? And they're like, we grew up like watching the Cosby show uh-huh. and there was a backyard and a fence and we just wanted to see like, if you had a fence, like if you had like the same yeah. kind of backyard. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I just never, and they had never been invited into yeah. someone's, they'd been here a year. That's a key thing. Yeah. There, there are so many overseas students who never see the inside of a typical yeah. family home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're right. And whether it's Thanksgiving, which they don't even know what that is anyway, or right. Christmas where they can't get back home. Mm-hmm. Those are the, that's another group that can often be overlooked. Mm-hmm. And to be sensitive that the food that we eat might not necessarily yeah, be yeah, the I, food that they I eat. I remember cooking or helping cook, I should more realistically add, <laughs> um, a Christmas dinner for a whole load of Thai college students. Oh. And, you know, we, we thought, let's give them the, the 
Yeah. You know, the classic traditional uh-huh. Christmas turkey with all the trimmings and cranberry sauce. And in England, that's a, that's a very traditional Christmas uh-huh. lunch. And they were they were polite, but they needed to add just tons and tons of chilies to it. So <laughs> yeah. we let them because it just didn't taste of anything right. unless it had lots of spice in it. So um, that was fun. Yes. <laughs> but it could be a, these these holidays can be a great occasion for doing some kind of you know, hey, here's a here's a cultural thing. You know, I'm mm-hmm. British. I'm 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 still new to Thanksgiving. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's quite a fun thing to to take some other people and say, hey, do you want to come and experience this weird thing we do called Thanksgiving? Or mm-hmm. do you want to come and join us for Christmas and see how, how our crazy family does? Mm-hmm. Every yes. family has its own way of doing Christmas. So yeah. it can and be can fun to... you compare it to what you've seen on TV. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's right. Maybe a little different, for sure. Yes. For sure. All right, I'm going to change subjects for a second um, because your latest book that you did for grownups is called Is God Anti-Gay? And I know that that has been something you you mentioned that you've written a lot on sexuality, mm. but tell us a little bit about that book and why it's so important today. Yes, and I I, I originally wrote it over ten years ago, okay. so it came out in twenty thirteen, okay. and I I realized a couple of years ago that it was approaching its tenth birthday, and that the world was so different in twenty thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, okay, I need to do a new edition of this book. So I went through the whole thing. Some of the terminology and language has even changed right. in 10 years. A lot of the questions have. Okay. So there's questions I jettisoned from the old one and new ones I added. Um, different priorities in, in what to be talking about. So kind of brought out a new edition of the book. And really the goal is to to help Christians and non-Christians try to understand what what Christians believe about the whole issue of sexuality and why we believe it, and and how we believe Jesus is good news in this part of life. Um, I think if my priority in 2013 was trying to say, hey, this is this view is biblical, I think my, my big, biggest concern in 2023 has been to say, here's how this view is good. Because most people don't care if what we say is true if they don't believe it's good. Right. And so I thought, okay, I need to do more work on how Here's Jesus, here's what he says, here's why that's good for us, even if it doesn't initially land on us as being the thing we would have wanted him to say. Um, and part of that is, is showing how what Jesus says is is challenging for every single one of us. No one's off the hook here. Mm-hmm. But also just thinking through, if there are certain things God says no to, it's always because he's saying yes to something else. And so what is what is God inviting us into? what is his positive vision of human sexuality that he's inviting us into, even if that will mean saying no to certain things in our own hearts. Along those same lines, I know a lot of people who are going home to family, friends during the holidays may encounter a loved one that who identifies as LGBTQ+, mm. plus or um, who has different views on sexuality than yep. we do. How would you advise people, encourage people to approach someone um, who believes differently in this line of thought, who may be very, whether they're confrontational with those yeah. beliefs or not. <laughs> or even living in that lifestyle. Yeah. How, sure. would yeah. you, how would you challenge us as Christians to do that? Yeah, I think there'd, there'd be a few things to, to bear in mind. One is that um, Jesus shows us in his own life 
um, how he can be friends with someone he doesn't agree with mm. and how he can disagree with someone without rejecting them. Um, you know, they called him the friend of sinners and, you know, if it wasn't for his being a friend of us, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know him. So our culture doesn't have those categories. Our culture thinks if you affirm someone, that's how you show them you love them. And if you don't affirm them, then you are rejecting them. Um, we just need to be living demonstrations that that is not the case. Mm. And so the extent to which we feel we have to be verbal about our non-agreement, that's a wisdom issue. Um, we may not need to hammer that every single time we, we see that person. What we do need to show them is that disagreement doesn't mean we don't love them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want my friends who, who identify as gay, I want them to feel loved by me more than they feel loved by people who agree with them. Mm. Um, I want them to know how much they mean to me, um, how glad I am to have them in my life. So that that's one element of this is just trying to love people better than they expect us to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think another thing in conversation, because it, it's such a highly charged area of conversation and, and so so many sensitivities, a rule of thumb that has, has served me well is try not to say to someone what you can't say to everyone. Mm. People easily feel got at. Yeah. So rather than saying to someone, well, I don't agree with what you're doing, I might say, yeah, Jesus has some challenging things to say on this to all of us. Mm. Um, I'm not wanting someone to feel like they're being singled out and got at. Mm. So I find it helpful to speak in, in much broader brushstrokes and show how, again, the message of Jesus is humbling for every single one of us. It's challenging for every single one of us. It's, it's compelling too. Um, so that no one feels that they're being kind of treated fundamentally differently to everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, that those things have helped me and, and to listen well. Yeah. So if it's, if it's someone who, you know, we, we've not had much opportunity to kind of hear much of their story then it can be really profitable if someone's willing to to share just to say i'd love to hear more about your journey would you mm -hmm. be willing to share that with me mm -hmm. that in itself is an act of love living listening right. to someone well mm -hmm. but i find it then gives me a sense of okay now i okay now i know that you've been on that journey that starts to give me instincts about where to begin in in sharing christ mm -hmm. with that with that particular person if they've come through hurt and pain um, maybe rejection, then I, I want them to know Jesus is the one who won't um, break a bruised reed, mm -hmm. that he, you can trust your wounds to him. Mm -hmm. If someone is, is confused about their identity, I want them to know, along with the woman at the well, that this is the one who makes sense of who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, she said, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Mm -hmm. Could this be the Christ? Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different, there's lots of different, again, on-ramps yeah. to life yeah. with Jesus. So I find listening helps me think, okay, given where someone is at, this might be the, the best first step for them to take. Yeah, it reminds me of a quote that I've kind of been reminded of this year, and, it, and I don't remember who first said it, but it was there were two things that Jesus doesn't reject, an invitation to dinner and the tears of a sinner. Hmm. Mm. That's beautiful. And I thought, yeah, that's... Yep. That's what I want my life to, to be like. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's good. 
All right. Well, the question, because we're on the Marked Podcast, Sam, mm-hmm. is what has marked you in your walk with Christ? Yeah, there, there'd be lots of potential things I could say, but I think the thing I, the thing that grabbed me when I first heard the gospel and has kept me is the goodness of Jesus himself and thinking, okay, whatever whatever he says, whatever he has for me, whatever following him looks like, I know he's good and therefore I can trust him. Um, that that has preserved me through some difficult seasons. Um, but the more I've grown as a Christian, the more I've I've seen the depth of his goodness. And I kind of don't need to know anything else. There's lots of other fun stuff you learn along the way, but actually the thing I I keep needing to know is, yep, he is good. So keep keep trusting him. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. He is good. It's, he is good. Yeah. For sure. Well, right. Sam, this has been such a really rich conversation. Yes. Really do appreciate you coming in today. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's lovely to lovely to be with you. Oh yeah, so good to meet you. Well, listeners, if you want to just find Sam Albury, all of his books, all of his books, (laughs) go go to lifeway.com. Go wherever you buy books, and you're going to. We'll have links in the show notes. That's a lot of these. That's right. All right. Well, thanks, listeners, for joining us this week, and we'll be back next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time. Home should be a place where we feel at peace, where we can be ourselves, where we feel loved. For a lot of us, though, home is a place of heartache, hurt, and loneliness. As believers, Christ promises us an eternal home. But what does that actually look like? And how do we deal with our current homesickness? I recently wrote a Bible study called Come Home for Women, and I'm so excited that Come Home will also be available for teen girls. It's perfect for small groups, helps girls answer important questions, and gives us a richer understanding of what kind of home God's building for us. The release date for Come Home for Teen Girls is August 1st, but you can pre-order it now at lifeway.com slash come home. Don't miss out on this opportunity to help girls belong and be loved. Again, you can pre-order it today at lifeway.com slash come home.